The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. I never saw myself as a leader. And so I rang all of my franchise owners and said, look, this is what's happened. Um, and they were overwhelmingly excited about it. And I kind of rang all of them, got off the phone and thought, that's weird. Why are they so happy? I don't think I can do this. Why do they think I can? This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with the Managing Director of Lang & Simmons and President of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, Liam Pilkington. We'll follow her journey from the northern peaches of Sydney, working for her parents to becoming an empowering and inspiring female role model in real estate and for women everywhere. Pilkington has always been determined to smash the glass ceiling and in the decades in real estate, she has done just that. This is who she has become. I'm the managing director of the franchise organisation Lang & Simmons where I've been for 25 years. I'm also the current president of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales and I sit on the board of the Real Estate Institute of Australia. And I am also the co-founder of a networking group called Real Women in Real Estate, which is just about supporting um, women um, in and around property. With so many titles under her belt and jobs on her hands, Pilkington leads a very busy life. She shares with us what she typically does on an average day. Lannan Simmons has 45 offices in and around um, New South Wales. And so because it's a relatively small number, my days are really varied. So I'll be talking to our business owners. I'll be, um, tomorrow I'm going out to an auction to support one of our team members with his very first auction. Um, I could be organising training. I could be, I've got my own podcast called Courageous Conversations. So I um, host podcasts as well. So yeah, all kinds of different things. Signing new franchise agreements, going out, doing new business presentations to potential franchisees. Um, interviewing new team members, you name it. It's, um, yeah, marketing plans, social media plans. It's, yeah, that's what I love about my job uh, is just the sheer variety of, of everything I get to do every day. Pilkington takes a journey back to her childhood so we can get to know her more personally. I grew up in um, Forestville and Belrose on the northern beaches of, um, of Sydney. Went to high school at Davidson High. And my parents then, um, my, my father had a real estate business in the Hills District. And um, yeah, that, he ended up moving the family when I was 18, moved the family over to Castle Hill. And, um, and I still live now in, uh, in Glenhaven, which is northwest of Sydney, just near Dural. 
Oh, that's wonderful. So, growing up over in Forest, um, did you say Forestville? Did you Forestville. say Forestville? Yeah, yeah Forestville. Forestville. What, yeah. what was that like? You know, as as a little, you know, going to primary school and all that there. Gosh, that's a long time ago. I can barely remember, um, but I think you know, I think I had a pretty typical, uh, typical upbringing. You know, Dad uh, wasn't a real estate agent in those days. He was travelling. He was a travelling salesperson, travelling around um, around the state. Mum was a stay at home mum. I've got a um, a sister who is three years younger, brother who's eight years younger than me. And so, you know, mum and dad didn't have a lot of money in those days. Um, I remember, you know, it was a, it was an exciting day if mum could actually afford to buy us an ice cream on the way home from school. Um, but, um, but, you know, things changed as we, as we got older and, um, and dad started his real estate business. Actually, he started his real estate business in, I think it was 1973, he opened his first office and within three months he got very sick with glandular fever. And so my poor mum, who'd been at home with kids for, for about 12 years, had to go um, and run the business um, whilst, uh, whilst Dad uh, recovered. And she ended up being really good at it. So um, Dad ended up opening another office for Mum because they couldn't work together. Um, you know, that's a bit tough, right? And, um, and yeah, Mum was a really, she was a great, great real estate agent and she, she both, both Mum and Dad stayed in the business until... Um, until they retired. Wow, that's amazing. So in Castle Hill, back in the 70s, it was still kind of a farm area, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of it. Where I live at Glenhaven, um, you would know Gilbert Road. Um, you know, back in those days, that was a dirt track. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's uh, it's changed massively and it's still changing, right? I mean, a lot of Kellyville where you are, there's um, that was all farmland and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of development going on. Oh, still is. I mean, even North Kelville, there's still a lot of blocks of land out of Box Hill and, and, and further out that way. It's still a lot of development that's still going on. There sure is. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, we actually uh, bought, we had a deposit on a, a property in Box Hill, gosh, 25 years ago now. And um, it was $330,000 for five acres of land. And, um, and the day of exchange, the vendors changed their mind. And of course, that parcel of land, um, uh, maybe three years ago, sold for multi multi millions of dollars. That five acres. It's like I just get depressed every time I think about it. To further delve into Pilkington's childhood and her parents' careers in real estate, she details the beginnings of her father's company and what has become today. Dad started a brand called Anvil Realty, A N V I L, and it was because it was short, um, it was strong, and it was at the beginning of the alphabet. Because back in those days, right. We, everybody used the yellow pages and the phone book to, um, to find whatever they needed, so a different time. Um, and then he ended up with three offices in the Hills District and then there was a brand from the US that came out called ERA and their premise was, um, and if you, I don't know whether you ever watched MASH, um, but uh, Colonel Sherman Potter, he was their post, literally their poster boy and we had this poster in the office of him with his, you know, his um, helmet, metal, yeah, his hard hat on and saying, if we can't sell your property, we'll buy it. And so that's going right back into the, the late the late 70s. And, um, yeah, that was their premise. Dad only ever had to buy one property um, from somebody, but, yeah, we actually did buy a property. And, of course, now in the US, iBuyers are everywhere. It's a very, very common phenomenon over there. Still not very popular here, but... 
Um, and then uh, the Ray White brand in 1987 bought out ERA and so Dad converted um, his business to, um, to a Ray White office. Which is still there, actually. I actually know the owners there. Ray White Castle Hill. Yeah, Dad used to own, yeah, Dad used to own Ray White Castle Hill and, in fact, owned that building. Wow, that's excellent. <laughs> Family business that's still there and you've obviously carried on the brand from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell us a little bit more about then, I guess, growing up. You said at 18, around when you were 18 years old, you actually moved over to Castle Hill. What was that like for you? So, this is my 40th year in real estate. I'm giving, my, giving away my age but I'm 58. Um, went straight from high school. Um, in fact, um, I was I was Dad's Saturday girl. Uh, or so, sorry, Sunday girl because I was a I was a, um, a competitive squash player. So I used to play squash every Saturday, and I worked for Dad every Sunday. Uh, he paid me five dollars a day. Um, I'm old, but I'm not that old. He was he was tight, right? Um, and um, I was planning on being a school teacher, but I went up to the Gold Coast as everybody did, and well, everybody still does for schoolies. Yes, schoolies was invented back in those days. And, um, and I ran out of money and um, he was going to send me some money so long as I could work for him um, until school went, until uni went back. Um, so I was, um, um, I was going to go to teacher's college. And, of course, um, I, I never went. I, um, I stayed and I, I enrolled um, to become a valuer. So I used to drive, and in those days it did take about an hour and a half, um, I used to drive from Borkham Hills, the office was originally, to the city, um, to Ultimo, three nights a week for three, four years to become a valuer. Um, so that was, I was working seven days a week. I was studying three nights a week for four years. Amazing the energy you have when you're young. It was really, it was really, really full on. Um, I, don't, I don't actually know how I did it, but I was determined. I'm one of those people that if I start something, um, I'll, I like to finish it. And I realised within the first 12 months, I realised valuation was not for me. It's very, you know, I was never very good at maths and, of course, it's all maths. And it's not really, you don't have a lot to do with people really as a valuer um, and I'm a people person. Um, so, but anyway, I started it so I finished it. And, um, and yeah, I went on to work for Dad. Um, I started as... The receptionist worked through property management and then I was a salesperson and I worked for him until I was in my kind of late 20s. Um, yeah, yeah. He used to fire me every Friday. He thinks it's funny now. He tells people the story. But, yeah, we used to fight um, and that was, you know, as much my fault as it was his, if I'm honest. Well, it is hard. I, I've worked for my parents before in their business and it, it's challenging because we have different thoughts, you know. It, there's one way that we can do it but then they want it that, done that way and it it's, it's, ends up with that. But at the end of the day, we're family. Yeah, that's right. But, and you don't have the boundaries, right, that you have. Um, I, there's no way any of my team would ever dream of speaking to me the way I spoke to my dad um, and versa, right? Um, so I, um, I often say that I, you know, unfortunately I didn't really get good at what I do until after I left dad because I had to learn um, to have a bit more respect for the people I was working for. Um, and I really, you know, I, I didn't show dad the respect I should have probably um, during those times. Hopefully he won't watch this podcast. While she didn't go straight from high school to university, Pilkington wasn't going to let that stop her from achieving her goal of obtaining a degree. I went back to university in my 40s. Um, and um, and did a, a, an MBA, and I did that because 
One of the things, I don't have too many regrets in my life, but one of the things that I did regret was not going to uni straight from school. I did study, um, obviously, and it wasn't just valuation. I did my real estate license. I, I did my auctioneers certificate. I did a whole lot of stuff. Um, but I regretted not actually having that um, that university degree. And I by that stage, I was also the GM at Lang & Simmons. And I felt if anything happened to my job at Lang & Simmons, Nobody would give me a job at that level unless I had that qualification behind me. Um, and I'm not even sure that that's as relevant today. It's interesting with education. Um, it wasn't that important. Then it became incredibly important. And now I think whilst uni, you know, uni is a wonderful, you know, it's wonderful to learn, but there's lots of people that just get out there and hustle, right? And they don't necessarily have that um Sorry, I've just got people calling me. Um, you don't necessarily have to have that formal degree these days. She shares her experiences with hiring and training employees and gives insight into her preference of who she would hire. I'm in a position at the moment where, because um, as you said, I've, I've, um, I've bought into, um, well, I've put together a group that has bought the Lang & Simmons brand and there's all different areas that I, I want to expand into and I'm just looking at who I need for those roles. And as much as I love the enthusiasm of youth, um, old chicks rule, can I tell you? Um, middle-aged women, yeah, they. Um, it's not just wisdom, it's empathy, it's stability. Um, I know um, people that are building their careers typically only want to hang around for two or three years, but in in my world, two or three years goes by like that and it's like, oh, God, have I got to recruit again? Have I got to retrain again? Um, whilst every new person brings different opportunities and different experiences, it's just a pain in the neck. The last thing you want to do is after you've trained them all up, spent at least a good 12 months getting them into that position, then they leave a year later. It's like you're going to start all over again. What's worse though, right? They, you train them and they leave or you don't train them and they stay. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Pilkington's career prospects pre-real estate. So I actually temped for a while um, because I didn't know, like I didn't really have any skills um, other than I was good with people. Um, I couldn't, you know, that computers weren't even, were barely invented in those days, embarrassingly. We discuss her stops and starts in various industries. Because I'd taken a, quite a big step back from a centre manager to a franchise administrator. It was like a 30% pay cut. Uh, back you know 25 years ago so it was a it was a big step backwards for me but I just wanted to be in a happy I just wanted to be in a happy place. We delve into her beginnings at Lang and Simmons. I started in Lang and Simmons in 1995. Um, in 1997 um, the business was bought by our commercial franchisee so they were both a franchisor and a franchisee and um, very soon after they, um, very soon after they bought the business, they fired the general manager, my old boyfriend. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, property investor. Is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. 
Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Pilkington dives into her progression from working for her father to traveling to having an epiphany that changed the course of her career. I ended up going to Europe for three or four months um, as all Australians do and um, dad would never let me have holidays so I actually had four months paid leave. Um, So I went to Europe and on the plane on the way back I thought I can't do this anymore. Uh, And so I got off the plane and I resigned. What a terrible, awful thing to do. Um, but I didn't, it wasn't my intention, it was only, you know, when I got away and actually had that, that clear brain space that I realised I just, it's just not what I want to do. And part of the problem, real estate's an incredible career, but as I already said, I was working seven days a week, I was studying three nights a week, um, a course that's, that, that challenged me intellectually, so it wasn't like I was just, you know, cruising through. Um, and I was just burnt out. I think if I had got into selling real estate in, in my 30s, I'd probably still be doing it now. Um, but I just, I started too early, I went too hard and I burnt myself out. So I actually temped for a while um, because I didn't know, like I didn't really have any skills um, other than I was good with people. Um, I couldn't, you know, that computers weren't even, were barely invented in those days, embarrassingly. Um, so I attempted for a while and um, after about three or four months, the recruiters said to me, actually, Leanne, we think you would be a great recruitment consultant. Um, and I said, okay, well, I don't even really know what you people do, quite frankly. So I went in and I spent some time with them and I did, in fact, spend three years as a recruiter. Um, I won, They had, in those days, it was a company called Centercom um, and um, they had over 200 um, consultants around the country and in my, um, in my second year in that business, I won their consultant of the year, which was um, amazing. I was just, yeah, it was, I was really proud of that. Um, and it was a great job. I really, I really enjoyed it, but it, it, was a bit, um, it was a bit repetitive for me because you're doing the same thing. You know, you're finding new business, you're interviewing people. You're, so um, I was offered a job. Uh, an old boyfriend of mine uh, was a shopping centre manager um, over at Brighton the Sands, and he offered um, offered me a job as his assistant centre manager. So um, I looked after the shopping centre, but also the office tower next door. So I'd never had any experience in retail or commercial. So that was really, you know, I often joke that the only um, experience I had before I got to the shopping centre was that I'm a really good shopper. Um, but other than that, I yeah, I made a big difference. Um, so um, I was there for. Well, actually, um, my old boyfriend um, got the sack and I got his job. Um, So I was promoted to centre manager and um, he still speaks to me. And I stayed there for, um, I stayed there for, oh gosh, three or four years. Um, And unfortunately, um, unfortunately, my regional manager at the time thought that our relationship should be somewhat different than it was. Um, and so I had one of those awful, you know, hashtag me too um, moments that I did sort of come out and speak about on LinkedIn um, a year or two ago. If anybody wants to see the story, they can they can connect with me on LinkedIn. It, it's all there. Um, and so I left that job 
and I worked for a property uh, property developer for 12 months and um, he focused on on retail. So my shopping centre experience was obviously, was good there, but that, yeah, that job wasn't really um, what I thought it was going to be and he ran out of money and um, so I ended up um, getting offered another old boyfriend. There's a pattern, right? Thankfully, I'm happily married now and have been for 30 years. Um, Another old boyfriend offered me a job as the um, marketing and admin manager or franchise coordinator, I think my original title was, at Lang and Simmons. He was the general manager. Um, And so I went there and um, it was really interesting because I'd known him, obviously, you know, we we were no longer um, in a relationship and hadn't been for quite some time, but we'd stayed friends. So I was very well aware of the Lang and Simmons brand and I really liked it. And, and, and I was horrified when I got there. Um, we did some research and I found out that the franchisees hated each other and they hated head office even more. And I said to my friend, all right, we've got two choices here, either... I go and find a new job because I can't, I've just been in a toxic culture for years and I just, I just can't do it because I'd taken a quite a big step back from a centre manager to a franchise administrator. It was like a 30% pay cut uh, back, you know, 25 years ago. So it was a, it was a big step backwards for me, but I just wanted to be in a happy, I just wanted to be in a happy place. You know, I just wanted to enjoy what I did and the people around me. And so when I found out that um, Lang and Simmons wasn't as, you know, happy as I thought it was, um, I said, okay, either I'm going to go find another job or we can work together to change the culture. And he was up for that. And so that's what we did. And um, and that culture change is not fast, right, but it, it um, it's changed massively now. And if you talk to anybody um, about Lang and Simmons, that's one of the things that they will tell you is, is that we have an amazing culture within the organisation. So I'm really proud that we could actually affect positive change in that space. She goes on to further detail her beginnings at Lang and Simmons and delves into an experience she had that changed her perception of herself. I started in Lang and Simmons in 1995. Um, in 1997, um, the business was bought by our commercial franchisee. So they were both a franchisor and a franchisee. And um, very soon after they, um, very soon after they bought the business, they fired the general manager, my old boyfriend. Um, and whilst I, there seems to be a pattern, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a hard worker. What can I tell you? Um, and one of the things that was really, one of the lessons that I learned, um, the, the people that owned, when I started at Lang and Simmons, the people that owned them owned a lot of different businesses. They owned wineries and car parks and all kinds of things. And so the CEO was a man that I didn't really know very well. I knew, you know, I, I, I sort of, I knew him, but he had very little to do with um, with, with me or the Lang and Simmons side of the business. But when Rob and Tony bought the business, they actually said to, to them, whatever you do, hold on to Leanne because she's the one who's actually running the business. And so I didn't know that he even knew what I did. And so the lesson for me was it's the things that you do when you don't realise anybody's watching um, that really, you know, that was what set me on my own leadership path, really. Yeah, and it sounds like action spoke louder than the words. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, when, when Rob and Tony bought the business, Tony um, moved into the and, and they um, they fired the previous um, GM 
they Tony moved into that role. And so Tony and I worked together for about 18 months and I loved it. I always saw myself as a really good number two. Um, Tony's a very charismatic man and he everybody wanted to be around him and he would go out and, you know, he would, as charismatic men tend to do, well, oh, we'll make this happen. And then he would leave and I'd run around in the background making everything happen. Um, and so he was, um, I tell the, I tell my promotion story often because, because Rob actually, um, Rob and Tony, when, when I, when they bought the business, I'd just been promised a pay rise, right? And um, as I said, I took a 30% pay cut to get there. And, and I was working again, seven days a week. It, it was, you know, that's just seems to be who I am. Um, and I had just negotiated a pay rise. And then all of a sudden, these guys were buying the business and everything was off the table. And I was filthy. So I stormed down to the, because I knew the guys, they were my franchisees. So I, I stormed down there and I was determined to get a um, get a pay rise. And that, yeah, um, an hour later, um, I turned around with no pay rise and no pay rise in the foreseeable future, excited about what they could bring to Lang and Simmons. And so that was another lesson to me. If you can sell your vision for the future clearly enough, People will come along for the ride just to see, you know, if you can get people excited about it. And um, so for a long time, they got me very, very cheap, I can tell you. And um, and then Tony um, was on his way. He was going on holidays um, and he was walking out the door. And as he left, um, he went, you know, see you later, kiddo. I'll, be, I'll see you in two weeks. And then he walked backwards and said to me, by the way, you are much better at this franchising stuff than I am. I'm going back to selling commercial real estate you're going to be my GM. Anyway, I'll see you in a fortnight. And off he went. And I'm like, what just, what just happened? And I still didn't get a pay rise, right? It was, you know, it was like, show me what you can do. And six months later, I got a really good pay rise. But, um, yeah, so that was um, that was crazy. And I, um, I, I, like I said, I never saw myself as a leader. And so I rang all of my franchise owners and said, look, this is what's happened. Um, and they were overwhelmingly excited about it. And I kind of rang all of them, got off the phone and thought, that's weird. Why are they so happy? I don't think I can do this. Why do they think I can? And so I rang a few of them back and said, why are you so happy about this? And they said, Leanne, we know how much you care about us. We know how much you care about our businesses. And we know how much you care about the Lang and Simmons brand. And that's what we want. So that's what people want from their leaders, right? They want to know how much you care. So that was another really, really important lesson for me. We turn to Pilkington's property investing journey as she discusses the first property she bought and her current investing strategy. I bought my first property with my boyfriend at the time and my sister um, when I was still living at home with mum and dad. Um, so we uh, we bought a, a property in the west of Sydney and um, eventually um, when my boyfriend became my husband, uh, we bought my sister out and we moved into it. Um, and then we st- stayed there for a few years um, and then actually bought the house we're in now. We almost bought it Box Hill, um, but sadly no. So we're at, we're at Glenhaven in the northwest. And um, um, yeah, we also invest in property. Uh, we've got a very specific strategy um, around our property investment, though. We invest in our super fund. We've got a do, a do it yourself super fund. And which is not that easy to borrow money in a super fund these days. However, um, 
um, we have um, we have some property and we buy property that we can add value to. So we've bought property in, again, the west of Sydney on big blocks that we can add a granny flat to. Um, and um, that's been really successful for us. We were we bought uh, we bought well um, at the right time before the market started to really kick out um, in areas like Blacktown and Quakers Hill, and um, and yeah, so that's that's been that's been our strategy. She delves further into when she started investing in a self-managed super fund and describes some of the financial struggles she had at the time. There could have been um, life, you know, life gets in the way. Um, my um, my husband and I were both in um, in when we bought our first house when we first got married um, was back in where it's our 30th anniversary this year. So uh, thank you. 1991 we got married and um, uh, you're too young to remember, but interest rates were like 17 or 18 percent in those days. Actually, I do. My parents tell me about that story. <laughs> it was crazy. Shocking. And our first home was only, I think we paid $140,000. So our mortgage, you know, by today's standards was not very big. Um, but it literally it literally got to the stage because we were both, I was a, a recruiter um, in the early days there and then I moved into the shopping centre. My husband um, was in a, a job that he got a lot of overtime. So that was how we, my commission and his overtime was basically what we needed to get through. And I still, I, I remember very clearly that we, we actually didn't have enough money to buy food to get through the week. And so we would have to have dinner at my parents one night a week and at his parents one night a week um, to get through. And I can remember randomly seeing a pizza ad and buying pizza for dinner one night. And I stressed for the rest of the week because that was, that was really our food money for the rest of the week. And it's like, Leanne, why did you do that? So, you know, um, yeah, so I guess life, get, life, life gets in the way and then by the time um, we started to have the money to actually um, invest in, in property, um, we just decided that super was the most tax effective way um, for us to actually um, do that, yeah. For us, the, the, the properties that we decided to buy, we bought them um, for, um, for return, for yield. Um, and so that's not necessarily the strategy for everybody either. So you've really got to look at your own circumstances and, and, and take some advice um, from, from the professionals. Um, I'm a professional real estate franchisor. I wouldn't pretend to give people um, advice around property, um, um, property um, purchasing and building a portfolio. But, and one of the things that a lot of our business owners do is talk to their own teams and say, okay, what are your... You know, what are your dreams? And often it's about getting into property for the first time. Um, and so, you know, they'll put, um, they'll put a strategy together to help the, the employee um, to actually save the money for a deposit, connect them with um, the right mortgage brokers. And it's really important to understand what banks look at, for example, when they're going to lend you money. Um, and things like... Um, Netflix and Uber Eats and like they go right through all of your spending um, and all of those things is really if you know that in three years time you want to buy a property then you need to get that stuff sorted out now ahead of time um, there's no point in three years time going right I want to borrow money and for the bank to go oh no sorry you spent too much money on Uber Eats yeah like, well, what? What? what do you mean <laughs> 
seriously, it's crazy what the banks look at. My argument's always been, well, um, you know, I mean, I've got a serious shoe habit, um, as anybody who knows me will um, attest to. And I'm like, well, I can afford to buy shoes at the moment, but if I wanted to get another mortgage, I would have to stop buying shoes. So why is what I was spending last month relevant on what I'm going to be spending next month? But the banks don't see it that way, right? Liam Pilkington's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. Join us for part two where we'll discuss how everybody has insecurities. They tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, we'd like you to consider being um, um, our next president. I'm like, you for real? Like, I can't do that. Why can't I do that? And I thought to myself, oh, Leanne, get over yourself. Of course, like, of course you can do it. How sometimes things don't work out the way we planned and why that isn't necessarily a bad thing. One of the things that I do with my team every year is we, we write a letter to ourselves um, in December of every year to be read at the December of the following year as if we so we write it as if we've achieved all of these things. So it's like a business plan by another name, right? Um, and 2019, I struggled with it and I, I, I wasn't looking forward to 2020. Little did I know what was going to happen in 2020, right? We hear about her other ventures and what got the ball rolling on those. But from a mindset, you know, interestingly, I've mentioned that I started the Real Women in Real Estate Network and I started that because I was nagged to death about it from a couple of girls that worked for me. And that's next time on Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.